Sachin, Andrew, what was the last post you liked on social media? So the last post I liked on social media was this crazy tweet from a friend of mine in Charlottesville. So I'm based in Charlottesville, the uh, unfortunate location of uh, of the August 12th events. And uh, a good friend of mine named Rory, he posted a 55 post tweet storm on the eve of the midterm elections, detailing everything about uh, this like triangle of unfortunate contacts between Corey Stewart, who was running uh, running for Senate here in in uh, Virginia and Jason Kessler and uh, who's like one of the organizers of this thing. I'd say Rory went into more depth than even a lot of journalists have on this issue. So it's a pretty cool example of a lot of things like online journalism, tweet storms that are crazy with 55 posts and I guess uh, the craziness of the modern era of online communities uh, flowing over, uh, even sometimes loaded by hate into the real world. Wow. Wow. And but also like 50 tweets. Should that be a blog post? That should probably be a blog post. I don't think Rory has a blog. I, I should probably set him up with one. <laughs> uh, mine's a little bit less, definitely less serious, maybe more embarrassing. <laughs> uh so mine is a tweet that I liked that is the Twitter account at WWE Subway, where it matches mashes up uh, wrestling gifts with Subway experiences. So for example, the one that I like said, when the Subway sandwich artist asks you if you'd like double meat and cheese, and then has a gif of, I think, the Undertaker nodding voraciously, um, in this case, to get this uh, Subway sandwich. Okay, so two different... (laughs) Very different I'd say that's pretty different. (laughs) Two different things. But you engaged with it. Both of these pieces of social content spoke to you in some way, whether it was on a serious level, on um, a level of entertainment, something that was funny. But it resonated with you on an emotional level, and it meant something. So what I really want to talk about today is how the reverse can be true too. So when content creators and journalists put out their work into the world, they also get some some sort of resonance when people interact with it. I talked to Matt Doolin, who's an editor with the Community Impact in Houston, Texas. And Matt's conducted research at the Missouri School of Journalism about audience engagement because he wanted to know if journalists find more satisfaction and meaning in their work when they practice audience engagement. Turns out, they do. Welcome to the Center of Attention, the podcast exploring how digital behavior relates to the attention economy at large. I'm Megan Radonia, the show's producer, and I'm here with Parsley's co-founders and the show's co-hosts, Sachin Kamdar and Andrew Montalenti. Hi, Sachin. Hey. Hi, Andrew. Hey there, Megan. So, Sachin, how would you define audience engagement in just a few words? For me, audience engagement is a way that uh, an individual is sharing feedback with you, whether that's anecdotally or quantitatively. Andrew, how about you? How would you define audience engagement? I define audience engagement as getting some sort of response out of people who are interacting with something that you've put out there. So I I think of audience engagement less in terms of uh, do people actually do some sort of trackable action like a click or a like or a share or whatever, and more in terms of did you actually change that person or were you just 
uh, sort of another piece of content in the stream and in the noise. So I think one of the, it's both a tricky thing and a really cool thing about audience engagement is that there isn't exactly one set definition. What I think that we can agree on is that it's important to define it, especially within individual organizations of people who are creating content. The benefits of defining audience engagement, tying it to your goals, measuring, they're numerous and we can go into a lot of them in this episode. So for his study in particular, Matt defined audience engagement as using analytics or using social media as part of your job. He surveyed uh, journalists to find out how they were implementing analytics and how it tied to their job satisfaction. So Matt and I talked about the findings from the survey, and namely we talked about how journalists who practiced audience engagement felt more satisfied with their work. Here's Matt with the key insights from his research. When I first pursued the master's, I had this idea that I'm going to study like the impact of all these job changes on journalists because I had been preparing students for this very challenging uh, journalism world. And then it ended up being, well, not only have jobs changed, but now there's this new component of journalism jobs where the audience is suddenly this super important aspect to what we do. And maybe it always was the most important thing. It just wasn't really considered or even taught in journalism schools that way. And so I'm wondering, how did you define audience engagement in the context of your research? That's kind of been a debate is what exactly audience engagement means. I feel like it's less debated that it's important, but it does have kind of a malleable definition. You're very right on that. This was the hardest part probably of doing this study because I knew that just by picking any one definition, I was going to be leaving out people who could contribute to the research. Uh, And I did get get some feedback from people who took the survey on it. Uh, I went with defining audience engagement as using analytics or using social media as part of your job. How the survey respondents interpreted that beyond that, that's, I couldn't control that, but that's how I structured the questions. And you mentioned um, a survey, but I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on what the methodology was for your research and how you developed the survey and you know yeah. how you were gonna reach people to ask for their opinions. So the survey, came out of some of the preliminary research I did when I was exploring job satisfaction. So job satisfaction is a widely studied thing across all kinds of industries. So there's lots of handy tools that already exist to measure it accurately. And so, but a a tool that I settled on was this thing called a job diagnostic survey, which was created, I want to say maybe in the fifties, maybe earlier, maybe a little bit later. Uh, And it was sort of designed to study uh, assembly line work and look for ways to tweak those jobs to make them more satisfying, more enriching, um, so that you could improve things like employee retention and employee performance just by tweaking kind of how a job is done or what kind of tasks uh, a person has at their job. And that really emerged to me as really relevant because that's exactly what has happened to journalism jobs, except I'm not convinced that it happened on purpose. Like people just got tasks assigned to them because they were like the last person left in the room. So it wasn't like, oh, journalism jobs have been really well designed. So let me study them. It's more like journalism jobs have inadvertently been redesigned uh, just through necessity. So it might be good to go back and look at how those things have affected people. 
And so, and so this is the beginning of the survey, and I'll zip with one question right to the end of it and say, what did you find? What was the answer that you ended up with, um, if, if not to all of your hypotheses, to, to one of them? Yeah, uh, there is a relationship between audience engagement and people fe- feeling more satisfied with their job. What surprised me maybe might be that it wasn't like a night and day difference, right? So I'm not going out there and I'm never, I'm not going to be preaching that if your people are uh, unmotivated, give them an engagement work. That's going to make them motivated. Uh, it's not a, a fix. It's not a strategy to fix anything. Um, but what I, I think what it does is reinforce that there's value to doing it uh, that has effects beyond uh, just a business mission. Like it actually affects the people, like getting audience feedback affects them and affects how they do their job. Uh, and that's what this measured. Uh, and what, that was kind of what I wanted to do as well. I mean, I could have approached this uh, topic and said, well, let me just interview 10 journalists about their thoughts on engagement. And that would have been an interesting article. But what this study did got to talk to, we got, I got to talk to a hundred journalists and scientifically actually showed what they're saying has a relationship to this concept. And I can show that through the data. When reviewing the data that you got, when looking at the responses from people in the survey, were there certain frustrations uh, that arose in patterns or more frequently? Or um, was there any kind of common theme around what was uh, complicated in journalism jobs or, or frustrating people in newsrooms? Yeah, so my favorite question on the survey wasn't anything data related. It just said, it was the very last question, and it said, what do you think of when you think of audience engagement? Or what comes to mind when you think of audience engagement? And uh, this was when people poured out what they were thinking. And so this is what I'm talking about where I say it. It's like I interviewed 100 people. Yeah, Yeah. it was like a therapy question. (laughs) And people were very honest, anything from... You know, we could be doing a much better job measuring engagement and using analytics, but our small staff is spread extremely thin already as far as responsibilities go. So that you're hearing uh, people saying, you know, I'd love to do this, but I have no time. Um, you would say, uh, some people say, uh, I engage often because it makes me better, better at my job, but we aren't given the resources to do it. So it's only coming from me. It's not coming from management. You've also, you're also hearing from people who, uh, after two years of working at an organization, no one talked to me about these numbers, meaning their analytics reports. No one talked to me about these numbers, what they mean, how they stack up, or what we should do differently. So there's frustration there as well of like, okay, great, I got a number, but it doesn't turn into feedback unless I can contextualize that and turn that into action. On the flip side to that question, or, or perhaps another um areas of the survey, did you get any feedback about what journalists who were focusing on audience engagement found satisfying in their jobs? There were several people, uh, and remember too, this is like unprompted, you know, it's a very open-ended question. They would say like, audience engagement makes me better at my job. I mean, that was stated several times in the open comments. Um, So it's not very often you have people who say, oh, this extra task makes me better. You know, this extra thing I have to do. Most people are going to complain about an extra task that they're required to do. Um, But you've got people who either through the culture of where they work or through their mindset about it are getting value and they're figuring out how to use audience engagement to 
improve what they're doing. And I think that's the really cool part. And that's probably what needs to be explored even more. Yeah. And why is that? What is that tapping into? Is it just like a um, a very high level feedback? I can evaluate my work. Is it something on a more emotional level? That- I think it's a couple of different things, right? So in the research, what came out was where audience engagement uh, had the biggest effect was the experience of having feedback on your work. So in the job theory that I used, feedback could be anything, right? It could be a pat on the back from your supervisor, or it could be just looking at what you've built and saying, wow, that's that's a job well done. That's a well-made machine. And it's going to allow you to be more satisfied with what you're doing, because even if you make mistakes, you're aware of them and you can improve upon them. People also said that audience engagement made their jobs more meaningful. So what that speaks to is, you know, if you're just a guy in an office who cranks out reports and no one reads them, or you don't know if anyone reads them or not, um, you don't know if it affects anyone's lives, if you never have any information about what you're doing matters, that's that's a dreary job and you're going to burn out on doing something like that. Um, so what people are telling me through this study is that having audience engagement reinforces that craving for meaningful work and it actually enhances that. Uh, And probably through doing it, they're able to deliver even better journalism and even better work that it's like a feedback loop that just keeps getting better. So those are the two biggest things. There's also this uh, idea of significance, which is related to meaningfulness. And that is, is my work in the big scheme of things, does my work matter? Uh, And people who did audience engagement also scored that highly as well. So there's a sense of like, I am actually helping either bring awareness or I'm helping my community or whatever the case may be, but they definitely feel like their jobs are more important because they have audience engagement as part of it. I was wondering, um, having been a journalist and are currently a journalist and then having the research in the middle, like... Did this resonate with your experiences, especially starting out in 07, 08? Totally. Having um, digital become more of a component of your work? Yes. I mean, uh, I think that was one of the cool things about doing it was that, I mean, throughout the whole process of like reading other research before I even started mine, it was like doing a lot of head nodding, like, yes, like this, (laughs) I've experienced this, I've seen this. Uh, You know, I've read papers about like, copy editor burnout and editor burnout. And I was like, yeah, I saw that happen, you know, and uh, layoff survivors was another like thread of research I looked at because like you get people left behind that are still, they still have jobs, but they're racked with guilt because they have jobs and that, but they also have twice as many tasks to do and things like that. So um, it's a really emotional journey because we all, I think people who are in journalism are in it for a peculiar reason. And that is that they just care about doing it well and that requires a lot of uh, emotional commitment and it's difficult when when the job itself becomes difficult to do because of things outside of your control and i've seen you know even in my own position now i feel way better about my job when i'm talking to community members about stuff we're working on or they're calling me up and giving me feedback on something or they're sharing a post on facebook about something we did that affected them. I, I, I experienced that in real world terms. Like that's, I come home in a better mood when my, when my readers are happy. You know, I have more, I'm more motivated to think of new ideas to keep them engaged or get them engaged. Um, and it's uh, way more satisfying. I've experienced it myself for sure. 
Have you ever experienced in a newsroom, whether you were maybe leading the training or a part of the training, um, an approach to that difficulty of time and of having um, the impact of management be so important on everyone else when it comes to using feedback loops and and benchmarking? Was there ever a training session that you were like, whoa, that was good. <laughs> or, oh, this is really encouraging people to to um, take the next step from accessing feedback and actually applying it. I think that uh, like here at Community Impact, we would have uh, kind of a monthly roll up of kind of wins. And I think that was a really good way to like, rather than defining success as like, here's the top red stories for the month. It's like, here are three stories that we can learn from. And it might be like, here's one that did really well with uh, Facebook audiences and or here's one that did really well with SEO in terms of getting audience or here's one that people really seem to share a lot. Um, and really trying to unpack those things, I think showing people examples is probably the best way to go of actual work being produced and taking it beyond just one number. What I really love about the research that Matt did here and something that was novel to me was the fact that this actually has an effect on your job and whether you're satisfied with that or whether you find meaning or impact through that. So to me, this research was just novel and proposing audience engagement in a completely different way um, than you know I think it's been talked about. I think being able to know uh, that people are out there enjoying the stuff you're putting out is really important. And in fact, if I were to relate this to maybe software a little bit, which is closer to home for me, um, if you talk, if you interview really good software engineers and ask them why they want to build, you know, products, uh, you know, some of them will tell you, yeah, I want to build it because, uh, you know, I really like programming and the craft of programming and such. But most people actually say that they really want to build products that real people use and they want to have an impact on people's lives with their software. Like that's usually a pretty big motivation uh, for software people. It's part of the reason why uh, software engineers love working at places like Google and Facebook, because you can have a really big impact uh, to a lot of people. Um, and so I think, you know, it's just true that if you detach yourself from your users, from your customers, from your audience, your job is just going to be less satisfying. And if you connect yourself to all of that engagement data, then it'll feel much more real and like you're really influencing people's lives. So that's pretty cool. I also think that data shows things that are counterintuitive when it comes to audience engagement that we assumed wouldn't come into play. So I remember we did a study with Pew um, a couple of years ago where we looked at how people were using their mobile devices and how that affects engagement. And I think one of the assumptions I had prior to us doing the study was that, you know, well, it's a shorter, um, it's, it's a smaller screen, uh, smaller form factors in terms of like content are going to do better there. And in fact, it was the opposite. We saw that long form content actually performed better um, when it was on mobile than uh, we would have expected there. So uh, that type of data, I think, is really encouraging on the engagement side uh, and can show that people are willing to spend their time in you know, valuable ways that will help highlight the fact that the content you're producing is creating the feedback loop that you want to see and then makes your job more meaningful as a result. 
Yeah, exactly. That that when we did that study, which was a few years back, the big conventional wisdom meme was snackable content. Everyone said, "Hey, you gotta yeah. produce, you know, thirty second. There videos. were like a couple of jargon. Was like atomic content, quantized yes, content. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, atomic <laughs> content. Man, I haven't thought about that in a while. That's definitely a jargon uh, word that maybe has passed by a bit. But yeah, there's there was just a lot of thought about this idea of. You know, mobile phones seem like, since they're so constrained and small, that you're only going to spend 20 seconds at a time. Total nonsense, it turns out. It turns out people are spending more time on their mobile phones than even on their desktop devices in a lot of cases. And then in terms of content attention spans, again, people think, you know, no one's going to read a long article. Again, it's total nonsense. It turns out that the exact design of a smartphone with edge-to-edge screens and easy scrolling at the flick of your thumb is completely amenable to long form content, right? Even more so in some respects than a standard desktop monitor. So it's, you know, I think that all that stuff just gets turned upside down by data. We've been looking at a lot of data lately uh, in the same direction. Like I recently was chatting with a customer and talking about Twitter as an engagement source. And I asked the customer uh, from their perspective, what do they think is the likely total percentage of traffic that Twitter drives to their own site? And they thought it was 40%, and it turned out it was 1%, right? So there was a 40 to 1 difference between the like perception of how much traffic was driven by that channel and what the reality was in the data, which is pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, I think it's much better when people understand this stuff at a metric level, even if there are ways that sometimes the incentives get uh, kind of converted in the wrong direction. All right, you guys want to do some plus ones, minus ones? Sure. Sure, sure, okay. So we keep using the word audience engagement, and I guess if you don't define that word carefully, it can just come off as jargon. It certainly appeared as jargon uh, in a lot of media circles over the last few years. So maybe we can just go plus one on minus one on some of the jargon that uh, really drives us crazy and maybe some of the jargon that we uh, uh, actually like using in our day-to-day work. All right, let's uh, go through some snap jargons here. Uh, Let's start with bandwidth, plus one, minus one. So bandwidth, you mean when people say, do you have bandwidth for that? Or I, Yeah, I not like uh, we need to up the bandwidth in AWS. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'm um, minus one on bandwidth as a sense of like your avail- personal availability. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Just ask me what your schedule's like or tell me if you need time. Yeah. Uh, it, it also just makes it sound like you're more important than you are when you say you don't have bandwidth or you need bandwidth or whatever. Yes, don't, um, definitely agree. All right. So how about this one? How about move the needle? Very popular in business circles, for sure. I'm trying to think if I use that before I answer. You definitely use that. You definitely use it. All right. All right. But I'm still minus one on it. I can can use it and be minus one, right? There's no law against it. I don't know. I think you might have to be plus one because I think I've heard you use it a few times. So we got to move the needle on this uh, (laughs) podcast right now. I also think you use it a little negatively. You always say, oh, that won't move the needle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's it's like my way of just doubling down on the pejorative nature that I have of move the needle. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you you have to be plus one on it by default, and I'll be minus one on that one. Fine, fine. All right, what about this? This one I actually haven't heard about uh, until we were talking about this prior to the episode. Um, we started this episode, uh, double click. Yeah. So this one I, I'd heard about recently. I had seen it a few times, but I uh, was joking around with people about it. So for those who don't know, you'll often hear people say, 
we need to drill down into that or we need to look into that. But some people will actually say, let's double click into that later. That's kind of like a way to say, let's go deeper on it later. I think it's kind of hilarious as a jargon term because it kind of dates you as a 90s desktop computer person who used Windows or something. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm minus one on this because I think it's just embarrassing to use. But what do you think? I, I don't know. I, I've just never seen it, so I can't. I don't. I don't have the context to judge because I've never seen it. I don't. I don't, I don't like think this. This can't be a par- popular jargon term because I've. I don't know. I've never. Seen it. Hypothetically, I think it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about this one? Ping me. So, like, you know, ping me later if you need need a little help with that. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm fine with that. Plus one. Yeah, I think I'm plus one on that too. I don't think there's anything too harmful there. Uh, I guess a variant on that one is touch base. So, do you like when people say, "Let's touch base later"? I don't. Minus one. Yeah, minus one for me too. I'm. I'm also. I, I would actually put touch base on my band word list personally. I think that people Ooh, should come. Up. Well, let's get into the band word list. Uh, this is like the list of words where you will actually call people out if they use this jargon. For example, Megan has a few here that are banned for her. Why don't you list a few of those? Oh my gosh, I can't stand abbreviations. Certain abbreviations, especially. Sorry, Dad, but when my dad texts me K, (laughs) just the letter, the single letter K, the letter K. (laughs) Oh, I'm free on this day and this time for our our wonderful birthday dinner. K, (laughs) Mr. Redonia, if you're listening, take note. (laughs) Um, I also uh, A F A I K and Mm. T I L. You can just write it out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i i i think i'm a user of both of those uh yeah you and, definitely are and uh til i think i'm like a regular user of um but uh yeah so i'll get wait let's get your what's your perspective on it why do you like it change uh, my mind <laughs> well i think i think til kind of feels just like a little bit of a jokesy internet culture thing to me it's like sure. you know it's sort of like you, yeah you just sort of like open a tweet with til and you're just saying like wow that was surprising like i didn't know that already um and it's just kind of a shorthand for that um but i uh yeah i don't really have much more of a thought on it than that um i guess if it annoys you too much megan i'll stop using it <laughs> no don't <laughs> T-I-L, Andrew likes this phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be on board with it. Uh, I think what do you I, not like? I feel like A-F-A-I, sorry, A-F-A-I-K, as far as I know, uh, I feel like that's one of those maybe, th- that's one where I could probably convince myself that I should stop using it because it's sort of like a nervous tick abbreviation, I think. I think it's just saying like, you know, uh, it's it's just sort of something you throw in front of a sentence and you're not really thinking much about it. The only one that I have in this like, still makes me cringe when I'm about to say it, which is going to happen right now. And uh, it goes back to when I was in uh, uh, undergrad and grad school. This would be used all the time in class when somebody would have an idea and then somebody else would have another idea. And then another student would raise their hand. And they would say, I just want to piggyback off of what so-and-so was saying. Oh, piggyback. I just like, I wanted to punch people in the face. Brings that to back, me is like the worst. Brings back bad memories for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. No, <laughs> sorry. Stop it. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, so to piggyback on that, uh, what are uh, <laughs> some of the words you use? Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out. Great. So it's been, it's been a good day. Uh, fun finishing this up. <laughs> Show myself out. <laughs> All right, cool. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and our thanks to Matt Doolin for joining us as a guest. 
You can subscribe to the Center of Attention on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you enjoy the show, please tell a colleague or tell a friend. You can also follow our hosts on Twitter. Andrew is at Amontalenti, and Sachin is at Sachin Kamdar. Thanks again for listening, and remember, we're plus one on audience engagement. Until next time.